Free-thinking atheist witchy farmer, herbalist, wise woman, obia woman, healer, off-grid homesteading hedge witch, living close to nature, black Hispanic, Afro-Latina, Jamaican, Honduran, Caribbean American, honoring and embodying the spirit of Queen Nanny of the Maroons, born in the inner city of Boston, educated and came of age in the affluent Metro West suburbs, escaped to beautiful, rural, central Massachusetts in 2015. Welcome to Sweet Sage Homestead. Dead Farm and Path of a Green Witch podcast. My name is Andrea. Remember, Black Lives Matter and love is love. Today is Thursday, February 18th, 2021, and here in my part of Massachusetts, it is only 16 degrees Fahrenheit. That's minus 9 degrees Celsius. My heart goes out to everyone in Texas dealing with below freezing temperatures and rolling power outages. Below freezing weather is very uncommon for that part of the United States. At least 25 people have died as a result of cold-related issues. Some people died from carbon monoxide poisoning trying to keep warm in their garages when their power went out. People's homes have been flooding because their pipes are bursting due to the cold. Texas was completely unprepared for this. I want to share a quick personal history. My mother was still 19 years old when I was born. She came to the U.S. from Honduras just a few years earlier. My mother worked at least three low-paying jobs at the same time to support us. But despite working three jobs at the same time, she couldn't afford to buy oil to keep our apartment heated. My mother told me that even though she was exhausted from working so much, she would try to stay awake to keep an eye on the space heater because she was worried that the space heater might start a fire. Fortunately, we did not have a fire in our apartment. I'm thankful that we didn't have a fire, but the thing that made us homeless when I was a baby was water. The space heater didn't keep our apartment warm enough, so our pipes froze and burst. We had a terrible flood. I don't remember the flood because I was a baby. Losing everything while working so hard was crushing to an immigrant single mom who was doing her best to provide a home for herself and her baby. After the flood, my mother was fortunate enough to get subsidized housing. Eventually, she stopped working those low-paying jobs. I grew up on welfare and food stamps. I think my mother realized after a while that even if she worked 24 hours a day, she would never get ahead on those low-paying jobs so she decided to stay home and try to be the best mother she could be. She really prided herself on keeping my siblings and me clean and well-dressed, and she always made hot meals. We always had dough ready for fresh tortillas. Anyway, I'll talk more about my childhood in other episodes. Another story my mother tells about the time in the apartment before the flood is that she was visited by spirits. I'm going to try to get my mother to tell those stories in her own words, my mother is a very devout Christian, so she isn't always comfortable discussing things that she thinks don't fall in line with Judeo-Christian spirituality, but I hope she agrees to come on the podcast. Before I get into the topics for this episode, I want to say thank you very much to my listeners. Based on analytics, I seem to have listeners here in the U.S. and in a few countries around the world. Thank you to everyone here in the U.S. and the U.K., Canada, Australia, Spain. I went to Spain a long time ago. I stayed in Toledo and we visited Madrid. It was a great trip. I had so many cool experiences. Thank you to everyone in the Netherlands, Thailand, Poland, Belgium, Japan, and the Czech Republic. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give Path of a Green Witch Podcast five stars. I would really appreciate it. It only takes a few seconds to give me five stars, and it would really help me out. If you have a minute, leave a review. You can just say hi or write your favorite thing about Path of a Green Witch Podcast. I really appreciate your support. Now, let's get into today's episode. In this episode, I want to discuss what is witchcraft, what is a green witch, and what is an obia woman. Let's start with what is witchcraft. Let's get into the etymology of the word. In English, the word witch comes from the Old English word witcha, a female magician or sorceress. In later use, it was especially a woman supposed to have dealings with the devil or evil spirits and to be able, by their cooperation, to perform supernatural acts. So, like I said, witcha, W-I-C-C-E, would be the female version. W-I-C-C-A, witcha, would be the male version. And it would still be a sorcerer or a wizard, a man who practices witchcraft or magic. And it actually comes from an Old English verb, witchian, to practice witchcraft. And it's similar to a low German word, wiccan, spelled W-I-K-K-E-N or W-I-C-K-E-N. And it means to use witchcraft. Some people think it comes from a Proto-Germanic word, wikjaz, W-I-K-K-J-A-Z, which means necromancer or one who wakes the dead. Throughout history in Old English and in that part of the world, the word witch or witchcraft has meant slightly different things over time. In the laws of Alfred from around 890, witchcraft was specifically singled out as a woman's craft whose practitioners were not to be suffered to live among the West Saxons. Some people believe that the ch sound, which is spelled with two c's in Old English, means to twist or turn. This is in reference to the circle dance of the Wayne worshippers of early England. The Wanes were gods that ruled the cycles of nature, and their name was related to Wheel. It makes sense that their name would be related to Wheel, given that they ruled the cycles of nature. These deities that they honored were named Ingfrio and Ostara Freya? Ingfrio was the god of fertility, lust, woodlands, peace, and wealth and the Old Norse people called him Frey. Ostara Freya was the goddess of dawn, rebirth, beauty, love, and witchcraft. The Old Norse called her Freya. They also worshipped their father-slash-mother, Niord Nerthus. This is the god of the sea, goddess of the earth, and they are actually the same god. It's an amphibious, androgynous being. They also worshipped animistic deities that were basically the earth, sun, moon, day, and night. Yeah, they believed they were literally gods. The holidays they worshipped were Yule, Disting, Ostara, May Eve, Midsummer, Thing Tide, Harvest, and Winter Nights. Holidays such as Samhain and Imbolc were Celtic, so they probably were not celebrated by the Old English, but I'm not sure. Witchcraft was not the only form of magic 
that the old English practiced. Runecraft was practiced by wizards, and wizards were wise ones. Runecraft is actually very different than witchcraft. It was an art that was primarily reserved for the social elite, and it's believed that most witches were actually, like, of a lower class, maybe peasants, but not all of them. Runes are puzzle pieces of the cosmos, and in the Old English tradition, there were 33 runes. In ancient times, wizards formed groups or councils called wittens, just like witches formed groups called rings. It's believed that they were not called covens because the word coven actually comes from covenant, which is Christian. Just like the holidays probably weren't called Sabbaths because that's actually a Hebrew concept. So as far as defining what witchcraft is, it can mean slightly different things depending on the time in history we're talking about and depending on the culture that we're focusing on. So if we view witchcraft through the lens of Christianity, it's going to have a very negative definition. If we view witchcraft through the modern lens of people trying to reconnect with their ancestral spirituality, it doesn't have a positive definition necessarily but it definitely has a more balanced definition, and it seems to have a lot more to do with connecting with your ancestors and with the earth and relying on the earth for healing and using the power of the ancestors for protection, whereas if you define it from a Christian perspective, it seems to have to do with worshiping the devil and doing harm to others. Anyway, I obviously view it through the modern lens of connecting with ancestors, connecting with the earth, and relying on the earth for healing, both physical healing and spiritual healing. There are three books that I want to recommend in this episode. They are Witchery by Juliette Diaz, Inner Witch by Gabriella Herstic, and The Green Witch by Aaron Murphy Hiscock. I'm going to get into each one of these books and why I recommend them. They are great resources for beginner witches or baby witches. Let's jump right in. So the first book, Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within by Juliet Diaz is copyright 2015. Juliet Diaz is a healer, seer, and herbalist, and she holds a Master of Science in Herbal Medicine. She is a descendant of a long line of witch healers from Cuba, with indigenous roots, and she was born with extrasensory abilities, including communication with spirits and energy reading, which were evident from the age of three. Juliet is passionate about inspiring others to find their truth and believes that magic lives within all of us. If you're a beginner witch who doesn't know where to start, maybe you didn't grow up with somebody guiding you in an ancestral tradition, I highly recommend this book. It gets you started with a list of rituals, spells, potions, and practices. For example, there's a spell for wealth and abundance called the Alfalfa Buried Apple Spell. This spell sends a message to the elements that you desire money, wealth, or another form of abundance, such as a new opportunity. You must cast this spell at night during a full moon phase 
and have easy access to a natural environment. I'm not going to share the entire spell, but I highly recommend that you buy the book. Check the description box for the ISBN and a link to more information about the book. Juliet Diaz includes a few spells for protection. It's important to know how to protect yourself and your space. You should get in the habit of adding protection into your life on a daily basis. Protection for yourself and for your loved ones from negativity, intruders, ill will, misalignment. There's a recipe for a Rue protection sachet. Rue has great protective qualities and Juliet uses it in most of her magical workings for protection. Another spell that I think is really cool in this book is called a Wheat Manifesting Mail spell. You write a letter to the universe. Maybe you could say, dear spirit, or you could address it to the deity of your choice. You express what you need, and you include a lot of detail. At the end of the letter, write something along the lines of, P.S. Although these are my exact desires, I'm open to what you know will serve me best, as long as you bring me X, Y, or Z thing that you're asking for. This leaves open the possibility of manifesting not just the thing you've asked for, but an even better one. Then you want to sign the letter, fold it twice toward you, and place it in an envelope that's large enough to fit without any more folding. And include the wheat stem. If you need to bend the wheat stem, it's okay. Seal the envelope and mail it to yourself. When the letter comes back, place it on your altar. Witchery, Embrace the Witch Within by Juliet Diaz is a great book for beginner witches. The next book I want to talk about is Inner Witch by Gabriella Herstic. It's a modern guide to the ancient craft. Gabby is a popular author based in Los Angeles. She's on Twitter at Gabby Herstick, G-A-B-Y-H-E-R-S-T-I-K. She's on Instagram at Gabby Herstick, and she has a website, GabriellaHerstick.com. There are so many things I love about this book. The introduction is called Bitchin' Witchin' Basics. We're waking up, and with our eyes to the moon, we recall the eternal truth. You are a witch. You are made of magic. It's time to remember. Becoming a witch is an awakening, a remembering, an initiation. Working with crystals, tarot, and astrology, solstices, full moons. Being a witch means living in this world consciously, powerfully, and unapologetically. What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is a nature-based path that worships the earth as the ultimate mother, healer, and goddess. Witchcraft is magic, using intention through spells and rituals for a desired outcome. Magic in our case is spelled with a K to distinguish our craft from the sleight-of-hand magic performed by stage magicians. But magic does not look the same for everyone. Your magic does not need to look like someone else's magic to be valid. So how do we define a witch these days? This is how Gabby defines the witch. A witch is many things. The medicine woman, the slut, the one without children, the activist, the outcast. The witch has always lived and will always live. A witch is a healer, a woman in tune with her sexuality, someone who works with the earth, anyone who abides by her own rules. Very often, witches were protesters, the catalysts, the ones calling for justice, and using all their tools, physical and otherwise, to create change. A witch has always been someone who refuses to abide by the societal constructs of the time. She is an outsider, rooted in her own decisiveness. The witch has always been a threat. 
The oldest witches were those who honored the earth and lived by the cycles of the moon. In Eastern Europe, the moon was carved from stone. In Western Europe, she was honored on cave walls through paintings of bison and horses. Records of the phases of the moon were carved into bone, and the goddess was shown holding the bison horn, the sign of the crescent moon. For the Yoruba people of Africa, the goddess was worshipped as Oshun and Yamoja, the goddesses of love and feminine mysteries, respectively. In China, she was Quan Yin, mother goddess of prayers. She was everywhere, and even though she had many different names, she was always personified as Mother Nature. In 1486, the Malleus Maleficarum, or the Hammer of the Witches, by Dominican monks Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer, was published. This book was a witch hunt manual. It cast a shadow of terror over Europe for hundreds of years. Witchcraft became an offense punishable by death. Women healers, medicine men, wise women, and especially midwives became the most persecuted people during the witch hunts. It wasn't until the Witchcraft Act of 1753 in Great Britain that witches were subject to imprisonment or fines instead of death. That act wasn't repealed until 1951, and there are still witch hunts going on in different parts of the world today, like Tanzania. It's our responsibility to shift the narrative of the witch. We need to redefine who she is and revive her ancient power. So what is magic? Magic is energy plus intention. It's a way to manifest a desired outcome or effect. Symbols, stories, and ritual are the language of the subconscious. They help us access our unconscious mind, which is the part that manifests magic. Usually magic is practiced through spell work and ritual work, but magic is also subtle. It's when you talk to the moon or light a candle and sing happy birthday. Magic at its very essence is energy, and energy is neither black nor white. It's neither harmful nor helpful until the witch adds her own two cents and decides what it is. White attracts energy, both good and bad. Black repels energy both good and bad. Using your magic to manipulate someone else is not a good look. And even though there are times when this might seem necessary, this sort of magic needs to be worked only on a case-by-case -case basis. For example, performing love spells is just really probably not cool because it involves depriving someone of their free will. Also, the results can be unpredictable and messy. Now, a binding spell, on the other hand, might help in the case of needing protection from somebody's negative vibes. The most important thing to remember about magic is that the power comes from the witch, not the magical object. You are the magic. Let's talk a little bit about spells and rituals. A spell is an action that manifests a specific desire, usually with the help of a visualization, saying, or chant, as well as magical correspondences like herbs, candles, or crystals. A spell shifts energy to change things and is equal parts intention, preparation, how you feel, and the tools you have at hand. Most of the time, when a witch casts a spell, she will cast a circle as a way to keep 
keep energy in and negativity out. The circle is imagined as a sphere. It's a meeting way between worlds where magic can be worked and energy can be raised in a safe setting. Most of the time, a witch will work a spell within a ritual. A ritual is an umbrella term for a set of actions that takes place to connect us to something else, whether it's to our ancestors, to our hearts, or to our unconscious. Think of a ritual as including casting a circle, lighting herbs, grounding your energy, invoking the elements, and then casting a spell. There are a few other things you need to consider when practicing magic. The day of the week is important because each day is ruled by a different planet and therefore it has its own specific set of correspondences. The actual tools that are involved, such as cards, herbs, oils, and even other energetic beings, are important to consider. But the most important thing is the intention of the magic itself and the desire and willingness of the participant performing it. I want to quickly go through the correspondences of the days of the week. Monday is ruled by the moon and its association are magic, mystery, illusion, divine feminine, emotions, travel, and fertility. The color is white or silver. Tuesday is ruled by Mars. Its associations are strength, courage, passion, and the energy needed to face a challenge. Its color is red. Wednesday is ruled by Mercury. Its associations are communication, writing, change, knowledge, and teaching. Its color is violet. Thursday is ruled by Jupiter. Its associations are prosperity, abundance, and health, and its colors are deep blue, and royal purple. Friday is ruled by Venus. Its associations are love, healing, beauty, glamour, sex, and fertility. Its colors are green, indigo, and pink. Saturday is ruled by Saturn. Its associations are protection, banishing, karma, and cleaning up. Its colors are black, blue, and dark purple. And finally, Sunday is is ruled by the sun. Its associations are success, wealth, career, and fame. Its colors are gold and yellow. I didn't get into which crystals, elements, and herbs are associated with each day. You should definitely buy the book. There is so much more information. Now that I've discussed what witchcraft is in general, I want to get into some of the specifics on different types of witches. There are various forms of witchcraft that suit so many kinds of people, different beliefs, different interests, etc. Some people identify as a hereditary witch, a kitchen witch, a green witch like me. Some people are part of a religion called Wicca. And then some people identify as eclectic witches. So I want to focus on green witchcraft. Green witchcraft works primarily with nature as both an instrument and teacher. This path means living in alignment with the earth and recognizing that everything has a spirit. A green witch works primarily with plants and herbs, gardening and growing. If you have a green thumb and a particular fondness for working with herbs and plant medicine, then you may be a green witch. Kitchen witchcraft is closely related to green witchcraft. I'll get into that a little bit more in a bit. Another related faith is the fairy faith. This is spelled F-A-E-R-Y and it shouldn't be confused with the fairy tradition which is F 
F-A-I-R-I. That's another form of neo-paganism. But the fairy faith is a path of witchcraft that works closely with energetic beings known as fairies or the little people. The term fairy or fae refers to magical beings such as sylphs, nymphs, undines, unicorns, and pixies. They're believed to exist in the astral realm, which is a realm that's parallel to ours. Those who subscribe to this practice believe that everything has a soul, even mountains, trees, flowers, oceans, and rivers. They work with the 13 lunar months of the Celtic tree calendar, accessing the different energies each month holds. Green witches and those who work with the fae often have overlapping practices. Now, eclectic witch Craft is a combination of different practices that is unique to the practitioner. Eclectic witchcraft urges you to create your own path by drawing on your heritage, passions, and different strands of magic. An eclectic witch might combine green witchcraft and kitchen witchcraft, art and music, or something else entirely. Eclectic witches are those who don't follow a single path. Instead of following a single path, they forge their own. I highly recommend that you check out Gabriella Herstick's book, Inner Witch, A Modern Guide to the Ancient Craft. Chapter 5 of Gabby's book, Inner Witch, is called The Way of the Green Witch, Earth Magic. She goes into different types of healing herbs, and she even includes some recipes. The sage spray recipe can be used to clear an area of negativity or during a full moon or a new moon or as a substitute for burning sage. You should definitely check out Gabby's book, Inner Witch. The last book I want to talk about is The Green Witch, Your Complete Guide to the Natural Magic of Herbs, Flowers, Essential Oils, and More by Erin Murphy Hiscock. I'm going to split this one into two episodes for a couple of reasons, mainly because this episode's already pretty long and I still have a bunch more that I want to share. The Green Witch by Erin Murphy Hiscock is an awesome book. I'm going to go over everything that I love about it in the next episode. I'm also going to dive a little more deeply into what an Obia woman is and some of the traditions specific to Obia or Obi. Before I close out this episode, I have to share something that has been happening over the last couple of months, I guess. I noticed that my songbird friends were gone. It was very, very quiet on my property. And not only that, but I had some squirrels and chipmunks that would like run out and kind of chatter with me and they were gone too. It was like dead silence. It was creepy. And then I started to think, Something must have hunted my friends, and I was mad. I understand the whole circle of life and predators need to eat and all of that, but these little creatures were my friends, you know? They were keeping me company here, so to go outside and have it just be silent was kind of disturbing. So I was trying to figure out what happened. I could hear that there was something living under my cabin, but when I looked it up, it seemed like it was most likely a porcupine or a possum, and I don't think those things eat rodents and birds. So I was just hanging out. I spend a lot of time just kind of looking at the forest. I love my trees. 
They are beautiful. I like to just stare at them. And as I was staring at the trees, I saw a huge owl. I just so happened to be staring exactly in the direction of the owl, so it might have thought that I spotted it. It was a great horned owl. They are really big birds. I knew that they were fierce predators. I had read that if you smell a skunk in the sky, it's probably a great horned owl because they hunt everything from mice to skunks, other birds, definitely songbirds. So I was so mad when I saw it and I I started like walking toward it because I wanted to get a closer look to be sure of what I saw. I knew just based on the size of it that it was definitely a great horned owl because their wingspan is just so wide and they fly so silently. It had just kind of like glided to another branch a little further away and as I started walking quickly toward it it you know glided to another branch and then I started like running toward it screaming at it because I was so mad I thought that it had eaten my friends I was so mad and it flew away and then I was sure that it was a great horned owl because I could see it flying away and it was just so huge I could see the patterning on the feathers and everything so this spotting of the owl was during the day and I had actually spotted it again about a couple miles from my property. And the second time I spotted it, I was like, oh, I don't know, that could be a hawk. But I I was almost certain it was the owl. Those two sightings were during the day. Then I was driving. I was in the next town over on a beautiful, it's beautiful during the day. At night, it's dark, very dark road. And I was going about, I want to say 30, 35 miles an hour, probably like 35. I wouldn't say that's super fast, But the owl came out of nowhere. It came swooping down from the left, from my driver's side. Here in the U.S., the driver's side is on the left. And so it comes down from the left and it flies in front of the headlights. So I got a very good look at it and I tried to hit the brakes, but I didn't hit the brakes fast enough. And I hit it on the right side of the car and I hit it hard and I started screaming. I was freaking out. I thought I'd killed it. I was very upset. But then I did a lot of research on this. I was like, oh my God, this is such a bad omen. I killed an owl. This is horrible. But I did a bunch of research and I found an article where a truck driver hit an owl and the thing did not die. The picture of it was... I shouldn't laugh because the poor owl got hit by a truck, but it didn't die. So I was like, okay, maybe there's a chance that the owl lived. The next day, I went back looking for the owl during the day. I tried looking for it at night and I couldn't see it. And then I went looking during the day and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Even if it was dead, most likely an animal would come and take it and eat it or something. So I didn't see it. In general, I have a really good relationship with birds. Of course, with the birds on my property, I have a good relationship with them. I feed them. After this whole issue with the owl, my songbird friends came back. I have lots of chickadees, tufted titmice, and nuthatches. I think they're white-breasted nuthatches here. And they came back. So it seemed like they had just kind of hidden away or gone somewhere else temporarily when the owl was here because obviously they didn't want to become owl food. And I was so happy to see them, so happy that they weren't gone forever. But the rodents never came back. The chipmunks and squirrels didn't come back. And after a long time, like a few weeks, now I 
I have more squirrels and I saw a cute chipmunk this morning. And today was a really hard day for me because I had to go and do something super stressful that I'm going to probably talk about. I have this human trafficking situation that I need to talk about. It's hard for me to deal with it, but I had to go and deal with something regarding that. And I'm always super reluctant to do it. And I I have to dig deep to find the strength because when I get into the details of it, you'll understand. I mean, I'm sure just hearing what the issue is, you can understand why it might be stressful. When I'm driving, it doesn't matter where I am. If I see birds flying or even perched on a tree or whatever, I wave at them. I do this little wave with my fingers. So I like to think that the birds know me. I also like to think that I have a connection with the land and that the spirit of the land is protecting me. And today I needed that protection and I needed the strength that the spirit of the land gives me. As I was driving along, I was about 35 miles away from my property where you would think these birds don't know me personally. They don't come to my feeders or anything. But some birds started flying overhead in a way that let me know they were definitely saying hi to me. They made it super, super obvious. A couple of crows actually started flying directly toward my car and then only like swooped up like at the last minute kind of. It was really cool. It was an amazing feeling. So the last few miles of my drive, I felt strong. I felt supported. I was just like, wow, like how could these birds know me so far away? I mean, could they have remembered my car from months ago when I last was in that area? Birds are super smart, so it's possible. Or maybe, like I said, the spirit of the land knew that I needed some support. I needed some strength at that moment. So that was really amazing. And it gave me the strength to do what I needed to do. I did it quickly and was able to turn right back around and head home, which felt good. And as I was about to turn onto my driveway, the great horned owl swooped down right in front of my car, glid along and... (laughs) I can't even speak. (laughs) The owl swooped down right in front of my car and was gliding along in front of me and then perched up on a branch. And of course, when it did that, I slowed down. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was worried I was going to scare it away. But at the same time, I was just so fascinated and so amazed by its beauty. This thing is huge. I know me and the owl got off to a really bad start. Our relationship in the beginning was not good. (laughs) But today, being able to see up close the true beauty of it, and not only that, but the fact that it came down to greet me, and then it perched up on a branch close to my car and turned around. You know how they turn their heads around? It turned around and looked at me. I was just so amazed. So I pulled out my phone, and I'm like trying to record, and I like had I pushed the record button twice, so I first I only got a little clip, and then I'm like trying to push it again, and I'm jumping out of the car and screaming, and so I got this like horrible clip, a terrible clip of the owl flying away. But I do have proof that the great horned owl was 
really close to me. And it obviously came down to greet me on a day when I was just so stressed out. It is undeniable that the spirit of this land is protecting me. I love living here. I live in an off-grid cabin in the middle of the woods. I have to haul in my water. I have to run a generator to charge up batteries, to have light, and I use a wood stove for heat. That means that I have to stack wood and drag it in. It's a lot of work, but the beauty of living here is just amazing. I would never go back to the city. Even in the city, I tried to get in touch with nature. I would literally talk to the trees. That's me. Yeah, the trees are my friends. They've seen things. Trees have knowledge, and the way they communicate is really special. The birds are my friends. I didn't mention that I have a nest on my porch, and the tufted titmice actually hatched right on my porch. I have so many stories that I want to share. There's so much amazing beauty here. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support. Thank you to everyone around the world. I love you guys. I hope you found this episode interesting and informative, and I hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. My name is Andrea. This is Path of a Green Witch Podcast. Baby got a habit, fancy cause it marijuana. I got no stress, I've been through all that. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. <laughs> If you're getting value from my podcast and you want to support future episodes, just click the support button on my Anchor podcast page or go to anchor.fm slash Andrea 9559 slash support. You can be a valued supporter of Path of a Green Rich podcast for as little as 99 cents per month. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, like F-M radio, slash A-N-D-R-E-A 9559 slash S-U-P-P-O-R-T. That's anchor dot F-M slash Andrea 9559 slash support. Every contribution helps. Thank you so much for listening.